What is up, everyone? And welcome into episode 69 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. And my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we'll get all caught up. I was in Mexico. We had Thanksgiving. Mike's playing a new Gretsch snare drum. In our education section, we're going to talk about our go-to warm-ups before a gig or a clinic. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Jerry Murata. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Roland SPD-SX. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Woo! Bam! That, that was a good one. In thick. Oh, boy. Yes, uh, I don't know. <laughs> very 98 degrees. Very 98 degrees. Or in sync. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. You know, I got a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know if it was restful, but it was just nice to be away from, from home for a couple of days for Thanksgiving. And, sure. You know, we came back. We, uh, we learned the hard way to never travel on Wednesday and never travel on Sunday around Thanksgiving. Mm. <clears throat> so we just traveled. We left Thursday early morning, no traffic. We left Saturday late afternoon, no traffic. So it was beautiful. Yeah, I did not learn that. I was flying from Mexico to Sacramento on Wednesday. So, oh no, you were. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was flying from Mexico City to Sacramento with every single Raiders fan that went to the NFL game in Mexico City. Oh right, man. So it was a, it was a, yeah. And and this really happened. I was in McDonald's with some students from Mexico City, some people that had come to camp before, and we're sitting there. And this little kid comes up, and uh, it was him and his sister, and they go, are you an NFL player? <laughs> I was you, like, Because you just looked American? Exactly. <laughs> I was, just because they could hear me speaking English, and the only people from America that were in town to them were NFL players. And I was like, oh, sweetie, I'm very undersized for an uh, NFL player. <laughs> I would you be, be the kicker, maybe. I might be. Yeah, I'd still get leveled. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think even the kickers are six one two fifty. So, um, but yeah, it, it was. It, I, the travel was pretty crazy, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare out there. So, so where did you travel to? Was it just driving? Yeah, just driving to my parents' okay. house. So normally, it's we've done that a couple of times where because it's the I ninety five corridor mm. from New York down to Baltimore and Washington. So we actually cut over through Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a lot, you know, it's much more scenic. So oh, cool, man. Yeah, it's more mellow, mellow ride. It's still, I mean, it's still four and a half, five hours. So that last hour, every single time, I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just torture. Get me there. <laughs> That's why. funny, man. Yeah. And then did you have a full-on traditional Thanksgiving meal? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is Old there school. anything about your guys' meal that's maybe not in somebody else's Thanksgiving meal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a typical southern east coast meal turkey okay. stuffing, turkey, mashed stuffing mashed potatoes mashed corn potatoes, green gravy. beans <laughs> gravy green beans okay sauerkraut. i didn't have that okay that i definitely didn't have yeah. sauerkraut yeah i guess that's what do you more put of that a, on? a german thing you just eat it like a side no you don't yeah it's good. okay what about cranberry sauce you guys have that cranberry sauce i'm not a fan i never eat that okay. stuff but you uh, did have it on the table always yep Always have the canned, weird, jello-looking version, yep. <laughs> yep. and then someone always makes a fresh version as well, and I don't like either one. What about uh, – so I had Thanksgiving – on Thanksgiving with Amber's family, super traditional. Then I went to my mom's last night, and we had one of the – I mean, we had all the traditional stuff. My mom is a fantastic cook. Uh, we also had Brussels sprouts with bacon. Oh, yeah. I had that at my dinner number two. There you go. Nice. Yep. And then uh, Amber makes a corn casserole. That's like sweet corn, and it's just a casserole made of corn and happiness, and it's it's quite amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it it got handed down to her from my grandmother, but uh, 
Other than that, I think it was pretty traditional. And then I just I literally felt like the fattest pig on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, by by Friday afternoon, I was done. It was. Oh, and then when you hear those horrible words, did you save room for dessert? It's like, (laughs) no, but bring it. (laughs) Bring it. No, I didn't even kind of save room. Pumpkin pie, apple pie, pumpkin roll, chocolate cake with peanut butter icing. What else did I have? Wow. Little, uh, (laughs) what do we call them? They call them roly-polies. What? In my family, but they're basically like pie crust, little pie crust roll-ups with cinnamon and butter and stuff. Oh, that sounds amazing. They're so good. All right, I'm, I'm coming to your house for Thanksgiving next year. That's beautiful. Oh, man. How was Mexico? How was the whole experience? Man, couldn't have been better. Uh, the people there are just so incredible, so sweet and kind. So I had a blast with everyone there. The drummers there, there were two guys from Mexico, both fantastic, and then one guy named Fabiano. I can't remember his last name, from Brazil. Very... I would say kind of Thomas Langish, like a Brazilian Thomas Lang. Okay, cool. Um, could do all the stick tricks and did the, you know, the blazing chops with traditional grip type thing. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic, uh, and he had a uh, what's that Brazilian company drum company? Um, Odori. Yeah. Yeah. God, his drums sounded good. Those are beautiful. Yeah, it was it was amazing. He had two Yamaha bass drums, but they couldn't find him an eight, ten, twelve setup, so he brought. No, he did, he had six, eight, ten. It oh, was wow. crazy small. Um, yeah, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. But so he brought his small toms with him, and they were odory toms. And I, I was I was sound checking his kit for him so he could go to front of house and listen. And I was like, wow, man, I've seen these things forever, but I've never got to play one. What a great, just well made drums. And they were yeah, beautiful too. They are. I mean, they've been trying to make a push in in the U.S. for years, and I, I just think they have a distribution problem. I'm not sure what the deal right. is, but. I remember testing out a couple of them ten years or so ago, and it was it was as good as anything high end by Sonar, or Yamaha, or anybody. Else. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I felt. And then, as far as the performance, it was you know we never really got to talk about the train wreck that happened in San Francisco, but uh, San Francisco, which was three weeks ago now, was might have been honestly the worst I've ever played in in public. I mean, since I was a child, really, it was an out of body experience where. I was in the back of the room talking crap about the drummer. Oh, I was like, gosh. this guy's horrible. What? <laughs> Why would he do that? And, and then like Mike's just over there soloing, and I'm like, what a horrible choice to make. How's he going to get out of this one? And yeah. then it was, it was like, oh, he's not going to get out of it. He's just going to stop for a second and regroup. Look at him go. And it was like, wow. Oh, and that was three weeks ago. So the lesson I learned from that was that I way, way, way underestimated the time it takes from learning something new and then performing it. Okay. I learned something new a week before that, and it was a very big thing. It was, it was a vocabulary-based thing, and I had it down. In, in, in Russ Miller's terms, I had it down in my perfect little studio with my perfect lighting and my tuned toms, <laughs> and then I took it to San Francisco, and it all fell apart. And uh, I learned... I learned, wow, having it down and then performing it might be a two- to three-month gap of time of constantly reinforcing that language. So what I felt like was I learned some really cool words, and they dropped me off in that country, and I tried to speak, and it didn't work Mm. at all. And then so I practiced nonstop leading up to Mexico, and Mexico went fantastic, but I also – pulled the solo's technical skill level back to maybe 70% of my max okay. so that I had that buffer zone to – and then I filled that buffer zone with a foreign drum set, a huge crowd, 
different sound than what I'm used to. And that, that ate up all of the rest of the bandwidth, yeah. if you will. So uh, Mexico went fantastic. Had a blast. The other drummers were super kind. And like I said, the people there, I mean, they're just so hungry for drum set. It's 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 amazing. So was Mexico City was fantastic. Yes, but um, I would say compared to some of the other cities I've been to in Mexico, it wasn't needed as much. Yeah. Um, so it was it was more like a comedy routine because they understood enough English to get the jokes and to get the sappy parts where I'm talking about you know. <laughs> Just I don't know. This this month has been very sappy. It's been very like, hey, <laughs> yeah. can we stop with all this color crap and gender crap? Can we just play freaking drums, man? So they got it all, and then he would redo it in Spanish, and then the reaction was like half as much. So I was like, I think we're good. You don't need to be here. <laughs> That's um, amazing. But yeah, so it was. But I had a blast, man. And I have to say, you know, I was listening to. You know, I'm a huge fan of sports radio and the warnings that were going out like, hey, if you go to Mexico City for the Raiders game, don't open your door for room service and don't go out at night. And it was, you know, it was very protective. So unnecessary. It Mm. was so safe there. I mean, it it, it is Mexico and it's a different country. And, you know, their their crossing guards for the street have machine guns. So it's it's a different place. (laughs) But. Man, I, I was out on the town until two in the morning. Uh, we were out getting street tacos, and I, I felt a hundred percent safe. And the hotel I stayed in was fantastic. So, to all the people in Mexico City, you represented your country very well, and I had an absolute blast. That's cool, man. So, <clears throat> Gretsch snare drum, that yeah, thing yeah. is sounding sassy. <laughs> yeah, so that's I, the one that you had um, the guy at RBH do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I bought a just a blank old Gretsch shell off of Reverb.com and I, it just sat on my shelf for like a year and I never did anything with it and finally I just said, I asked Bruce if he could just find some parts and make it work so I sent him uh, sent him the shell I sent him some heads, whatever heads I had laying around and, and some just mismatched hoops I had and wires, so he just had to find the lugs and the throw off, that was a big thing, like to find a throw off that fits an old Gretsch shell is, is not too right. easy Sure uh, Yeah, so he sent it back and it was just the same time that I had uh, had a recording session come up where it was kind of a mid-tempo uh, country kind of thing. And okay. it, I just said, I'm going to use this drum, and I'm not going to use anything else. I'm going to make it work. Uh, and it was awesome. I mean, it, it, it has a real kind of like dull, punchy sound that records really, really well. And it really it was kind of a, a light bulb moment of, of sometimes the drums that record best are not the ones that perform best in yes, a room totally um, i would say that's true in general for like an acrylite like sometimes are you are you tapping on something there's construction outside like oh. all the freaking <laughs> I, time i thought you were just going full drummer on me like not even yeah. realizing that you were like tapping the desk okay it's terrible. I, just I wish they would at least be like singing a song and hammering in rhythm or something <laughs> right they're outside <laughs> the offices of modern drummer completely hammering out of time how annoying yeah. they had some silly polyrhythms going this morning and back to your snare drum i don't even know so, what they're building actually <laughs> <laughs> that's the that New Jersey very, way. They that just, sounds very New Jersey. <laughs> it's like it's construction for the sake of construction. <laughs> I mean, they were working on the uh, Garden State Parkway, or no, uh, New Jersey Turnpike for 15 years, and they finally finished it, and now they've started construction on other parts of. The, it's like as soon as they finish, they got to restart. It takes so yeah. Long. Well, and by yeah, by the time they're done, it's all it's all wrecked. Yeah, exactly. So it's never ending construction. So how did the how did the producer <laughs> like the snare? <laughs> he loved it, and uh, it it. 
it's just like a dry, it just doesn't take up too much space. The snares aren't so bright and rattly that they're, you know, buzzing and it just has a real punchy kind of thuddy smack that I, nice. that I thought was awesome. And so I use it also on, uh, some demo videos for the magazine. I'm doing some dream, uh, bliss paper thin crashes and some, cool. some hi-hats and stuff. So I use that snare and that's, I'll drop in a little bit of that audio from that demo, but yeah, the lesson was like sometimes the drums you think don't sound great and don't feel great. Like it doesn't – it feels kind of dead and dull. I think that maybe the shell's a little bit out of round. Okay. Uh, but the microphone loved it, and it just and it gave me enough punch that it was just – It's chrome over brass, right? Chrome over brass, 6.5 And then what size? 14, oh, it's a 6.5. Okay. 10 lugs, so there's, there's, a, there's a heck of a lot of holes in the shell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's heavy. I mean it's heavy yeah. with those Gretsch lugs on it. And does it have die-cast tubes on it? Uh, no, I sent him uh, just whatever I had laying around. So it's like an old Slingerland stick saver bottom and then a okay. uh, triple flange top steel. Nice. So cool. Nothing about it makes is any, makes any sense. I've got old Pure Sound Matrix 40-strand <laughs> wires on it. I've got a, an attack snare side head. I've got a... <laughs> uh, attack? Yeah, attack. Uh, Evans Coda G2 yeah. batter. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, it was just... it. So it's going to become one of my... My go-to main for, go-to drums. That's cool, man. Yeah, and it, it's awesome. also if people use like drop it on samples and stuff. It doesn't. Uh, it's easy to layer stuff on it because there's not a ton of character. It's just like a dry smack. Cool. It's, like, it's almost awesome. like a white noise kind of snare sound. That I think it's going to be cool. And Dark, I mean, it's darker yeah, than most brass drums I have. And, and you know what it does now. So when it when that sound comes up in your head, you you know in your collection, like oh, you know what, I'm going to go grab my my Gretsch six and a half chrome over brass. That's cool, man. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little education. We want to talk about go-to warm-up. So this is something that you would do maybe backstage before a gig, uh, for me before a clinic or a drum festival, just getting ready to perform. And one thing, uh, for, for me at least, is there's no warm-up song when it comes to drum clinics. There's no, yeah, right. hey, let's, let's play that song and it'll <laughs> get me in, then we'll hit the, the good stuff in the middle of the set. Uh, you walk out on stage and you go for it. So warming up is extremely important. Now, I I don't think I think we've talked about it a little bit. You and I, neither of us have ever had any physical problems drumming, right? I mean, no, nothing chronic. I've had just like certain soreness and things over over time, but more shoulder pain. Up. But nothing I I've had to pay too much attention to. I do right, stretch yeah. a little bit more often now than I did when I was in my twenties. But sure, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, so. Do you, let me ask you this right off the bat. Do you have a pad backstage with you? Not usually. Sometimes. Okay. Um, so do you I, play on furniture? Furniture, my leg, yeah, whatever. Um, I do carry a little, a little like, I don't know, Winston, I think, makes it. And it's a, it's a pad that straps over your leg. Yep. So yeah. it's just, I have that in my, in my, I think it's in my stick bag all the time. So I can just grab that if I need to. And I use that when I first start warming up to, so I can get some rebound. Yeah. I do like the furniture thing, though, because they, they're they always so dead. It's always that yeah. old-school pleather 
chair, pleather couch that's just and it's got a little slap to it. Yeah. Um, so I actually kind of enjoy that uh, that stuff. Now, do you have a specific routine, or is it just literally playing? What do you do? It's it's become a little bit more codified. Um, I lately I've been using the first few minutes to just play really slowly, like full strokes, just mm-hmm. getting my my arms loose because I don't. I've seen like even I mean guys like Todd Zuckerman they show their backstage routine and they're just blazing like right away. I mean if I did that I think I would I would burn myself out. Right. Like for me warming up is not like going as fast as possible. It's a slow process. Right. So I do like just full strokes through like stick control patterns, maybe a couple minutes of that until I feel like I'm actually you know my hand is comfortable and, and loose yeah i mean there is a stiffness to the first second you get sticks in your hand and yeah. you have to work through that and i, I agree with you I, I don't blaze right off the bat yes yeah, so then after i do i just do like full strokes real relax real slow and then i move into um there's a joe morello control sticking pattern that he it's in his book master studies is triplets it's basically a modification of stick control so it's okay. triplets but he goes singles doubles paradiddles and then he goes right, left, left, and then reverse, left, right, right. And then he does fours, so right, left, 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 and then left, right, right, right. But all in triplets. So all in triplets. Some, there's some polyrhythms kind of So happening. let me ask you this. When you're doing something like that that you know is phrased in triplets, and then especially once you get to the fours, and like you said, there's the polyrhythm over the bar line feel or over the beat line feel, do you tap your foot? I mean, do you give yourself a pulse? Yeah. Do you have head? Okay. Yeah, because part the of the warm-up way. for me is is also mental warming up, making yes. sure that my internal time is feeling solid. Because a lot of times, I, for me in particular, I noticed if I'm a little nervous or a little anxious, my internal clock just gets completely discombobulated. Where yeah. I, yep. I feel like I have no sense of grounding. So part of my room warming up is really grounding myself as well. Man, talking about that, like I can't even tell you how hard it is for me to convince myself on stage that my laptop is not playing the first track like 30% too slow because I'm so <laughs> excited. And, it, and it's like this fusion track in 7-8, I mean total clinic track, right? And and it goes like – in my head it sounds like – and I'm like – Man, something's wrong because I'm so amped up. But that's the that's the tempo it's been since the day Dave McKay sent it to me. Right. Yeah. It sounded great backstage when I was warming up to it, and then as soon as I'm in front of an audience, yeah, I mean your your head definitely gets in the way. Yeah. Um, and just that feeling long? of just unsettled, like that's yep. A lot of it's just breathing and counting and tapping my foot and playing yeah. slowly is all part of it because there's nothing worse than me than the feeling of going on stage and feeling like I'm everything's coming from the head up, like I'm not playing with my body i'm yeah. playing with my head and that's that sucks for me i hate that feeling yeah you know I, I wonder if you might be the opposite as me or you might be the same but i've always stayed away from things like rock stars red bulls five-hour energy drinks before i play because i'm like i'm so too much of that already that's the right. last thing i need you know i mean a lot of guys that i gig with always have like one or two beers yeah. in their minds just to calm the nerves they don't get sloppy by any means uh but i i definitely i'm sitting there backstage you know with no green tea <laughs> I'm, there's nothing that can amp me more than i already am because um, yeah you just have to slow things down and and i usually find a song of the time that i'm really into that gets me happy you know mm. um it could be something rocking it might be an old deftones tune or something or it might be a current pop thing that if anyone heard me listen to it i'd be embarrassed mm. but it's all about getting me into a happy mind space like 
okay, I'm excited. I can also really make that mental transformation that the feeling that I have in my stomach is excitement. It's not nervousness. I'm not scared. I've prepared. I'm very excited to play. And I think that's honestly, that's a skill in itself is taking that physical thing that's happening chemically inside your body and turning that into something else mentally and saying, no, this is excitement. I can't wait to show the people of Mexico City what I have and what I've been working on rather than saying to myself, Oh, I hope it's better than San Francisco. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, um, that's the worst when you think about the, all the bad stuff. I try to do a little bit of visualization as well. So when totally. I'm warming up, I kind of try to imagine myself on the stage, sitting yeah. in my drum seat, and just you know absorbing what that's going to feel like. And I don't tend to get nervous. I just tend to get distracted. That's kind of usually my problem is because all that time leading up to the show, I don't have a drum tech. I don't have, you know, so I'm setting up my own gear and we're sound checking and I'm getting the set list together and I'm making sure my metronome is programmed. And all of a sudden it's like, go. I'm like, I need that time to step off the stage and just kind of decompress. Let me ask you this. What if we switched roles? Okay. How would would you feel? So my next thing – Coming up is I'm performing at Music Mesa. So I'm performing for three days in a row at Music Mesa. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have a different set of nerves playing a drum festival or a clinic if you knew the whole crowd was only drummers and there was no band to help you out? Or would you have the exact same process that you have right now? Uh, I think it's, it comes down to preparation like you were talking about. If if I, if I you said right now today go to Madison Square Garden and play a drum solo, I, right. I would freak out because I haven't played a drum solo in 10 sure. years. I haven't practiced right. a drum solo. I have no idea what I would do. Uh, so, yeah, that would be a little bit of that uh, you know head up kind of plan where I'm, I'm thinking too much and I'm – doubting everything and i'm questioning everything and i and i would feel the exact same if you if you brought me down to a blues jam that only had 40 people in the crowd and none of them were drummers i'd be so in my head about like are they judging how i'm locking with the bass player am i making the right choices (laughs) it would be so you would go into headspace of drumming and i would go into headspace of musicianship and it's just the two things that you know we don't it it, we would go into what we don't do a lot you know and that would be that would be our new insecurities like, yeah, um, yeah, and I think being over prepared is the key, but but also yes. not being so practiced that you become bored. That's something I try to avoid as well. Yeah, and I think the 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 preparation is so that when the moment comes, you can give up. You can say, "Look, man, whatever happens, happens." Right. And that's a new mental approach that I've been taking in the last couple of years. Even San Francisco, shockingly, I did not beat myself up about it at all. Like I didn't drive home being like that. I can't believe that happened. I was like. I can totally believe that happened. That was just a bad choice on my part. No big deal. Yeah, right. I don't suck. I just I just overshot. <laughs> and and I think I overshot because I knew there'd be no drummers there. So it's like, what's the harm? Um, right. And uh, But yeah, what's funny is I had this train wreck of a drum solo. I was like, all right, you guys want to listen to why I'm so awesome for the next 45 minutes? <laughs> and they're like, no, that was terrible. But um, so anyways, uh, yeah, I think right now my, my mental approach – with the the clinic thing and the soloing thing is, hey, guys, I'm going to give you a snapshot of where I'm currently at in my drumming. Of course, I wish it was better, but it's not as bad as it used to be. So yeah. this is where I'm at. And, you know, and that's that goes all the way back to Russ Miller in Spain telling me, like, dude, Dennis Chambers is already here. You don't need to be Dennis. Just be you because mm. Dennis can't even be you. So I think that. Now it's like, oh, man, I, I can't wait for you to see me tonight because maybe you'll get to see me two years from now and you'll see some progression in my drumming. So yeah. 
Um, I think I, one thing that I got to mention is because I just went through it. Uh, so in a festival situation, you got you have people playing on stage, you have a, a large crowd, and then you usually have your own dressing room for yourself and you're just waiting for them to tell you it's your turn to go on and pretty much the way it is is out of respect you watch as much of the the performers as you can until you're like okay it's 20 minutes till i go on now i have to go backstage so one thing is um i definitely got a lot out of hearing dave weckl say that he just warms up with doubles that's kind of what i do now very slow fast pull them back quiet as possible loud as possible i don't really have a massively complicated sticking regime Um, because in in that sense i'm not trying to warm up my brain i'm trying to physically warm up my fingers you know yeah Uh, but one thing in mexico city it's there's elevation so i was getting out of breath really fast just walking upstairs and stuff so i was backstage for at least 15 minutes doing jumping jacks until i was completely winded and then i would just practice on my pad and then as soon as i got my breath back jumping Mm. jacks and then kind of like uh pseudo jump roping jump roping with no jump rope but anything mm-hmm. to build my cardio up so that my my lungs were ready for the moment so I, I still do a lot of that because the one thing that most drummers don't have to deal with is the second i'm done with a very intense solo or a track that has soloing i have to grab a microphone and speak yeah that's the worst when someone's just so winded it's like dude just take 30 seconds and, yeah and catch your breath <laughs> yeah and and i mean really most people if they come to see me at all that's part of the package they're mm-hmm. not it's i mean honestly virgil donati could get away with playing for 45 minutes of drums and say thank you very much and leave and everyone would be totally satisfied with it yeah uh, that's not the case for me i have to speak i have to teach so so that's definitely part of my warm-up as well is is getting my cardio up so that when the solo is over or when the track's over after about two deep breaths i, I better be ready to speak mm-hmm. <laughs> if in long form so yeah cool man yeah, well, well, last bit for me is um, it kind of goes back to the getting my brain focused. I always I always end by playing through three or four like old old school rudimental solos that I have memorized. Oh, and nice! That's, it's partly because there's a lot of double strokes and stuff, but it's most importantly if I can't remember the piece, I know I'm not ready. Like if I get oh, to like bar seven it. and I'm like, ah, what the hell just happened? I got to yeah. start over. I'm not going to play the gig until I can get through that piece without screwing. Because I've I've been playing them for so long. There's no excuse for me to not remember them. Sure. So it just That's shows great. me that I'm not mentally. I'm not ready yet. If I if, oh. if all of a sudden I blank out. Like, That's so funny. Like that we do similar things, but they're just in our own ways. I mean, my I, I probably wouldn't go on stage without listening to inside out by genesis or you know i I have like the the songs that that got me into drumming in the first place they're still on my phone and Mm. i i listen to them and they put me in a place of why did i start playing this instrument in the first place why did i not go to the school dance just so i could stay home and practice like i want to be back in that moment and that's how i need to walk out on stage because there's somebody in that audience that is in their first year and i need to i need to be connecting with them in my own way and just saying like dude i know what you're going through and it's freaking awesome you have (laughs) the greatest adventure ahead of you and the and the ton of frustration ahead of you (laughs) but it's such a beautiful journey so very cool all right well let's talk about our featured artist this time it is mr jerry murata am i saying that right yep exactly sweet now okay this is going to be a weird question is this the dude that had the hip gig kit that was Rick Murata, his older brother. Dang it! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so I was in the ballpark. Yeah, Rick Murata, uh, 
he's quite a bit older than Jerry. I don't know exactly how much, but he's okay. He was, you know, had a legendary career as a session drummer. He's on Steely Dan's Asia record and tons of stuff. Um, he actually eventually got out of drumming because he became a. Uh, he wrote all the music for uh, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, really? Yeah, he was the composer for that. So he obviously didn't need to be doing sessions in New York City anymore after that. And you know that Jerry's now listening to this being like, seriously? <laughs> My brother hijacked the interview again? How does this happen? That guy always gets the cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he took Jerry to the studio with him when I think Jerry was like a teenager, maybe 13 or something, and just kind of got him exposed to the whole vibe. And, and he, you know, he became a session guy. And he's most famously known for playing on some of peter gabriel's mm-hmm. really awesome early solo records um, yeah jerry's on he's on red rain he's on shock the monkey games without frontiers Biko. he's on these huge peter gabriel hits he's on the hits yeah i mean and and those weren't just hits i mean those songs are still kind of relevant today because yeah. they went through like the whole new wave thing and then they come back and you're like yeah that that honestly doesn't sound that dated like yeah, that's a great exactly. song um, and it's classic. And I mean, he's also, you know, played with the people that we still look up to. I mean, obviously, Peter Gabriel is still doing his thing. I think he's out with Sting, or maybe he's going out with Sting. Aren't they doing like a double tour together? Um, uh, they just did that. I don't know if they're. Oh, they go did out. that. Yeah. Okay. And then, but he's played with Suzanne Vega. He's played with John Mayer, Iggy Pop, Tears for Fears, Elvis Costello, Cher, yeah. Paul McCartney. It, never, it doesn't end. So, um, and that's it's weird. You know, when you think about studio and session drummers. There's the guys that are getting the work that's being recorded in the moment, and this is the hip thing right now. And then there seems to be this other category of like Abe Laboreal Jr. stuff where it's like, no, they play with Cher, like yeah. legends, yeah. you know. I'm not saying that Abe plays with Cher. I'm just saying there's this whole next crew where it's like, okay, well, this person only record, this artist only records an album once every 10 years. And there's a there's a drummer that gets those gigs. It's funny you, you know? bring up Abe because uh, the reason that Jerry didn't play on most of So was because he was busy working with Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you if you got to tell Peter, Peter Gabriel, uh, sorry, I can't make it. It's because I'm working with Sir, Sir Paul, McCartney. Paul McCartney, a Beatle, uh, one of the Beatles. And then uh, was uh, <coughs> was Manu doing So or or? Omar, who did so? Yeah, that's Manu. He's on that. Manu. He's okay. on most of that. Yeah. Red Rain is off of that, and that's that's Jerry. That's so uh, cool, man. Yes, yeah, so Yamaha. I mean, he's he's uh, actually those those the Peter Gabriel record. I think everyone, if you don't know it, it's the third one. His first three records didn't. I don't think any of them had titles, but it became known as Melt because the cover is his like half of his face melting off. Okay. That record, there's no symbols on the entire record, and it was done very purposefully. So there's a lot of like layering of like broken drum machine sounds and real kind of dead thuddy acoustic drums and african drums it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's ethnic it's just this otherworldly collection of drum sounds that's so cool and that's what i think attributes to that timelessness of it yeah it still sounds current i think the first track which actually i think has uh, phil collins on it but i listened at this morning like this sounds like nine inch nails like just the real yep. dark kind of moody texture of it uh but the track <clears throat> i don't remember i'm going to drop in a little excerpt from it <clears throat> that's got jerry on on drums you can just hear that the drum sounds are so current i mean it's it's that real thuddy spitty 
a real kind of smacky drum sound. There's no cymbals on the entire record. It's pretty unbelievable. Wow. Not even hi hats. Nothing. I mean, there's like tambourine oh, wow. and it's and just drums. It's so, a lot of yeah. toms and and real dead snares and stuff. And then they're pulling the highs from tambourines or tambourines or, and other sounds. There's other blippy sounds. Jerry sure. was one of the you know one of the first guys to really experiment with drum machines and kind of breaking them and bending the circuits so they sound distorted and funky. Real wow, creative. that's so cool. And is he do you know is he still a Yamaha guy? That's a good question. I don't know. I would assume so. He is still okay. working. He's got a band called uh the Security Project, which they right. they play uh their own versions of a lot of Peter Gabriel's music. And then do you know so he's a New York cat, right? Yeah, up in Woodstock. He's got a studio yeah. up there. Uh, have you ever met him before? I've met him, but you know, we okay. didn't have any significant Just in conversation. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well yeah, I think and then as far as how he's covered in uh, the current issue of Modern Drummer, what were you guys writing about? It was about his uh, the security project because they just okay. put a couple of records out. Yeah, So cool. he's got that. And his studio is called Dreamland. It's in it's in Woodstock. I believe it's, it's – uh, it used to be Bearsville Studio, which is a legendary studio up there. Oh, really? He, I think he bought that and, and wow. converted it. Or, or maybe he took the gear into another room. But it's a real deal studio up there. That's cool, man. Very yeah. cool. Well, definitely, yeah. I think it'd be. Uh, I'm. I'm going to go back and try to figure out which tracks because I'm a huge Peter Gabriel fan, but not into the minutia of it. I just kind of like the music. You yeah. Know? So I'm not. I'm not the guy that could tell you what snare was played on "In Your Eyes." Um, maybe you can, but uh, um, so. But I, I, I do want to find out. I honestly didn't know that Jerry was on multiple tracks from an artist that I'm a huge fan of. So I want to yeah. check it out, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, it. so check out Jerry Murata. Um, and I, I didn't look up any videos of him, but good God, if you just go to his discography, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Just stretch your index finger before you start scrolling. <laughs> Dude, he was on room for squares by John Mayer. Yeah. I mean, oh, he's, crap. he's on a ton of stuff. I'm going to yeah. drop in just the first little bit of, I don't remember off of Peter Gabriel's third record. Perfect. All right, we're going to check out the uh, – we've had a few um, emails requesting a review on this piece of gear, so I figured we should probably go ahead and do it. It's not it's not reviewed in the magazine, but uh, I did review some Roland products where I used this. So we're talking about the Roland SBDS-X uh, sample pad, multi-pad. It's kind of their industry standard now at this point. Um, so I got one to, to use along with their new pedals that they just put out. I reviewed those. It's coming out in the next issue, but <clears throat> just focusing on SBDS-X. I've been using the old SPDS for for years now. Okay. And you know, it's, it's it's a great pad but it's kind of difficult to work with as far as uploading samples and and editing them and all that. And so the SPDSX was like I had jetted to the 22nd century when I when I got Dude, that Dude, they really figured this thing out as far as how to get your samples on there. Yeah, super easy. How it interfaces with your computer. It's it's I mean, I'm a I'm a Yamaha dtx artist and i can tell you this thing is bad yeah it's like drag you just drag drag and plug it in usb and then you just drag the sounds drag and drop and you got all kinds you can layer two sounds per per pad um so what i'm doing with it now which i think is pretty standard and it's pretty amazing this is why i think this is a piece of gear that 
everyone should probably save up and get because it, it can do so much. The sounds that are in it are okay. There's a lot of uh, just basic kind of electronic sound, rolling sounds, but there's not a ton. Um, so it's not like something I would say just get this and and just use it as it is. You need to drop in your own samples and you know find find some things that you want to do with it. You know, with your own kick sounds, your own snare sounds, your own loops. You can put in entire songs. Yeah, so what, I mean it, it handles. 720 minutes of sampling. Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Pretty rad. Four I'm gigs. able to put in an entire gig's worth of backing tracks into this thing and, and not Unreal. have to worry about having a laptop or anything like that. Oh. So what I'm doing is I got the um, – for this country artist I work with, he sent me mixes of all the songs with all the stuff that we just can't play live, like some okay. of the percussion and some of the you know, third or fourth guitar little melody lines and stuff. So he sent me a stereo mix of that, and he sent me a mix of the click track that goes with it. And in the click track, he put little audio cues as far as the count off and the endings in case in case I don't hear the the initial clicks. Okay. He says he just gives me a count off. So those are locked up. You know, they're separate files, but they're the exact same length. So I'm able to put the backing track on one of the pads, the click track on one of the foot switch pads. And then have those locked together so if I just hit the pad for the click track, it plays them both simultaneously. And can't you tell it don't send the click to front of house? Well, that's, the yeah. You can, you can route each pad, each foot switch to either the main outs, the headphones, or the sub outs. Right. So I'm running the backing track to the sub outs that goes to the main house. I'm running the the triggers that I have on my kick and snare are running to the main outs. So then the sound guy has control of the bass drum by itself, the snare drum by itself and the stereo backing wow. track. So he doesn't, he can mix them all independently. And then I'm running the backing track, the click track and my triggers to the headphones. And I'm monitoring with my own headphone out off of the SBDS. And here's the coolest part. I can get a line from the monitor guy, he can send it to the SBDS. I can actually go without a wedge or a monitor system, monitor through the SBDS and only hear it through my headphones. So I can use my in-ears and not have to have a wireless body pack, not have to have a receiver, not have to have a sub or anything like that. It's all wow. just coming straight through the SBDS and I can do the whole show. I can link every I can link all the songs together. Just you know, I can have one pad that that jumps to the next song and just starts right away. It's pretty that's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's awesome. that's amazing. And, and this thing is, I, I you know, you said everyone should save up for one. It's not that bad. It's eight hundred bucks. It's seven ninety nine. Right. You yeah. know, and and you can find someone's got to be having a Cyber Monday sale. You know. Yeah, I would um, get get one of those and also get uh, a kick trigger, a snare trigger, and a foot switch because you can use the foot switch to do a lot of stuff too. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And like I said, I I'm. I am I am a Yamaha DTX artist, and I started looking this thing up because I knew we were going to be reviewing it, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool." The other thing that I love, especially for tinkerers like myself, is when you upload your samples to this. Which, like I said, instead of doing it on the device itself, you can actually do it USB in your laptop. So, like Mike said, just yeah. drag and drop, and then it's loading it on there. But what I really love about it is you can actually add effects to your own samples through the SPD SX, yeah. which is yeah. really cool. Um, and that's where if you get into real advanced setups, like I'm going to – a friend of mine is going to let me borrow his. He's a Roland multi-pedal thing that has like a, 
has an expression pedal and has a whole bunch of other things. I'm going to try using the expression pedal to control the effects, to control oh, the wow. filter frequency and all that, and see what that does. That's so cool, man. Yeah, very it's very, cool. ins- very. I'm very inspired by this. I'm like, you, you know, know what? I wonder. I use a company called Borrow Lenses. Have you ever heard of Borrow Lenses? No. Okay, so that's. Um, when I was deciding on what cameras I was going to get for the studio, you know, I mean, the the body, the just the body, no lens, could be between five and six thousand dollars. Yeah, right. And then the lenses are another three to four, depending on what lenses I was going to get, um, or, or maybe less. But anyways, borrow lenses lets you rent gear for a week at a time, and they s- send it in full flight cases and everything. Oh, wow. So I could rent a ten thousand dollar camera and lens for maybe a hundred dollars for seven days. And then send it back and do it again. And that way I didn't have to waste my money and and then find out, oh, I don't like this at all. Mm. But they do – they rent microphones. So I'm going to look into it and see if they rent the um, rolling pads because, you know, it is $800. It would be nice if people could rent it for a week and just find out, do you even need this in your setup or do you yeah. like it? Um, mm. Because I think there's a little bit of intimidation factor because it does so much that it's like, oh, I don't want to have to learn about samples and this and that. And it's yeah. like, I think if you just take it, you know, just buy it and then have a hand clap and then yeah. someday be like, oh, I wish this hand clap had reverb. And it's like, add some reverb to it. Yeah. And then I wish it was my hand clap and then sample your hand clap and put it in. I think if you just do it one little step at a time, it's not that intimidating. But I'll, I'll try to see if I can track down a place where people could rent these first because that would be really cool. Yeah, it's super cool. I mean, like I said, the old one, I just didn't experiment with it much because it's just so cumbersome. You have to, right. you have to like use a, a smart card reader and you got to import. It <laughs> just took, this is was super. And you can also plug a flash drive into the back of it with samples on it and load it up pretty easily right, right there. So it's, I'm, well, I'm excited to get, you know, put it to use, um, not just for the, the country gig with the backing tracks, but. I'm, I want to do a lot more like solo drum performances, and I think this oh, would cool, be man. this would be a cool way to do it. To and have, it'd be a necessity almost. Yeah, have some loops in there, have some melodies in there that I could trigger with the pads, like actually yeah. play the melodies, maybe lock some MIDI notes up to the bass drum so I can play bass lines and stuff with my foot. Cool. Like, and now that it's so easy to use, now that I mean this thing's been out for what eight years, but right. <laughs> but still, yeah. now that for me it's it's such a user friendly experience, I. I don't see uh, I don't see ever not having it. That's cool, point. man. Well, guys, definitely check out Roland's website, uh, just Roland.com slash us slash products slash spd dash sx. Just go to Roland's website and you'll find it. But there's some great videos on there. Um, Michael uh, Michael Shacks on there, Craig Blundell, Johnny Rab, and they're all just showing different ways that they use it. So. Uh, it's a, a very well laid out website, and then you can also find retailers through there. And like I said, I, I checked it out, and almost every online retailer and store that I could find was selling it for seven ninety nine. So it's not if you're going to use it as much as Mike does, and if you're a constant gigging drummer, I don't think it's that expensive. I think that's pretty affordable for how much you're going to need it, and how much the other musicians in your band will appreciate you understanding interfaces like this and being able to be the guy that can just get the samples and 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 be become a bigger part of the band than just the drummer. So yeah, I, I can tell awesome. you every, every time I go, cause there's a couple of songs where I use like a Roland 808 kick and, and the, in the Roland snare. Every time I go to those sections, the audience reacts better. Yeah. And there's been several times the, whoever's on the gig that night at the end of the show, they're like, can you use that more? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's where we are. 
Awesome, man. Um, all right. Well, are we going to hear? There's nothing for us to hear, right? No. So, yeah, our next episode is going to be all listener questions, and we have a handful of audio and a whole bunch of, of paper questions. Awesome. So Very today cool. we just have a, have a few that we're going to burn through that have been here for a little while. Let's do it. All right. first thing is actually just a letter. It's not a question. It's from David Alexander. Um, he says, loving the podcast. Just want to uh, comment on your pick of the week regarding Jeff Beccaro and drummers playing time. He says, you're 100% spot on. Beccaro is my drumming idol simply for his mastery of time, groove, and pocket. Second, I started practicing with the metronome clicks on the offbeats after you guys mentioned Benny Greb doing it on the podcast. I practiced this method daily for about three weeks at different tempos. I played live three times yesterday. This was back in September. And our band leader kept smiling and looking back at me and told me no less than four times that my time and pocket were spot on. Wow. Yeah. You will always work if you have great time and feel and if you're not a jerk. So he says, thanks for the tip. So I'm glad it's helping. I mean, it's been the, that has been the single most valuable thing I've done in the past couple of years is practicing with the metronome on the offbeats. And now when you say offbeats, do you mean – E and uh, or just on the upbeats of and? And, or if I'm playing a shuffle, it'll be on the third okay. triplet okay. partial. Yeah. Gotcha. So glad it worked out for you, David. Keep us posted. All right, so now we have a question from Alessandro. Um, let's see. His question is about your personal recording rigs. Can you both give a rundown of what you're using to record your drums, um, mics, interface, additional hardware, preamps, compressors, um, and then talk a little about, bit about what's the big difference between high-end stuff versus cheap stuff regarding the sound you're getting out of it. Hmm. We've kind of uh, we've kind of covered this before, um, and I think I've, I've given you the rundown of my setup. But I think most importantly, I, I would want to emphasize that it doesn't really matter. I think right. just get stuff that you can afford. Um, to answer your second part of the question what's the big difference between high-end and cheap stuff? The high-end stuff is going to sound good without you doing much to it. The cheap stuff is going to sound not as good until you learn how to use it properly. just takes more work, yeah. It takes more I work, agree. but I'm, I'm still using very, very cheap equipment, and it just, I just studied EQing and mic placement and you know what's the proper level to push your preamps and uh, compression techniques and things that, that I feel like I still... I, I know that I'm not getting like... Blackbird Studios sounds, but I feel like I'm able to get a, a clean, transparent drum sound with very cheap stuff. So I don't think it really matters what you're using. Um, it can be all SM57s. You're just going to have to work harder with your EQ to get them to sound clear. Yeah. I think I think doing the cheap thing, though, also teaches you a lot. And then when you finally do get... When I just switched over to those new Audio-Technica mics, I felt like I just had to throw them up. Mm-hmm. compared to how much work I'd been doing before. And there was still a little bit of work, but nowhere near as much. And, I mean, I made the commitment, I guess it was yesterday, that I pulled all of my cables out of the wall and everything, and I only have two microphones now. Um, oh, yeah, you went I'm going to try to, yeah, I mean, I've been, you know that I've been doing it on yeah. and off, but I think I'm going to try to do it for a year. Um, not because I think it's better, but just because I really think it's that time for me to stop gathering and collecting new vocabulary and start really refining the vocabulary I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think when I, when I watch myself playing drums, I don't think, Oh, I wish I was playing stuff. That's harder. I, I do think I wish it sounded better than it does. So I, I I'm going to, so anyway, so that 
even that was like, okay, I've got two great microphones. It's more than enough. Let's make it work and make it yeah. very natural. Um, but I am going to – because I, I noticed when I put up yesterday's video on Instagram, a lot of people said, yeah, I love the idea of the two mic thing. Your drums sound fantastic. And then I Googled how expensive those mics were. Screw that. Yeah, And yeah. it's like, yeah, well, that's – I don't think people quite understand. It's like, yeah, that's what the cost does. It makes <laughs> yeah. it sound better. Like, um, so I think it would be – I think I'm going to make a video. I'll probably make it for Audio-Technica, but I'll, I'll release it on my own of – the exact setup I have at different price points. Like here's the $200 version, two yeah. $99 mics in the exact same position and me doing my best job of EQ and compression. Now here's the $600 version and then here's yeah. the $2,400 version. Yeah. Um, and yeah. honestly, if it's coming through your phone, I don't know that people are going to really be able to tell the difference. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, that's the truth. I mean, the, the, I have an SM57 over my bass drum in the, where the cowbell would be mounted. And as far as like having something that will transfer to an iPhone, I only need that mic. I just compress it and I EQ it so it's very mid-rangey sounding. And that mic alone would come through on Instagram. Uh, just through, fine. You know, it just, yeah. It's just fine. Um, yeah. I think also your point of um, using cheaper stuff to learn is really important. Um, yeah. Because if you – like for instance, when, when – um, Earthwork sent me their their overheads to review when I first got my studio up and running. Like, eight oh years wow! Ago. <laughs> like, I was like, yes, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. But I, I put those things up and it was like, oh, everything about this sucks. My drum, well, yeah, my tuning so, sucks. My yeah, cymbals so honest, sound right? bad. My room sounds bad. I was hearing all this crap. It was like I didn't know. I didn't know where to begin to make it sound better. I was like, do I start to source and tune the drums differently? Do I? Do I put treatment up on my walls? Do I do this or that? But so I sent those back, and I went back to. I had cheap stuff at the time. It might have been MXLs, I think. Yep. And I just spent like hours and hours and hours just experimenting with those mics, and then you know, kind of whittling down the the factors of what's making it sound bad because it, it yeah. will sound bad, but you can make it sound good. Yeah. It just it comes down. I mean, the big thing for me was was tuning because you can't. You really, especially if you're dealing with a project studio, if you're in a big room, a drum's going to sound great almost whatever, right out of the box. Yeah, they if just do. A, yeah. If you're in a great studio, that's why they pay millions of dollars to tune those rooms because yeah. you can set up anything and it sounds awesome. But And most of us are dealing with bedrooms or basements or attics or garages, and the rooms are just weird. And you can't tune your drums as you would to play a bar or a club, it's yeah. not going to work. You've got to you've got to find out what tuning works in your room and what type of muffling works in your room and all that stuff that you have to. I think having the cheapest stuff possible is is kind of important because you go through I, that I like I'm so frustrated. That sounds so bad, but that for me gives you the drive to like how am I going to make it better? Totally. Whereas if you want straight to the high end stuff, you'd be like. It must sound good. I paid five thousand dollars for these microphones. Right. It must yeah. sound good. And and that's all you're doing is you're paying for more and more honesty. So yeah. good luck. You're gonna hate it, man. <laughs> yeah. um, but the other thing too with all of that is that while going through that process, you're learning a lot about yourself and everything. But when people ask you, like, hey, I mean, this is really what it's coming down to, Mike and Mike. What are your EQ settings? What are your compression settings? It's like you don't understand. Those aren't those aren't universal. That's for my room. You don't yeah. have my room. You don't hit the drum the way I hit it. You don't have the heads. You don't. There's so many specifics that go into that. The, the other thing, though, Alessandro, or for any of you guys out there, we're so willing to pay for a drum lesson from a drummer. 
why don't people take it take some time out of their day and find their favorite engineer in town and pay him $200 to come to their house and walk them through the mix process on their gear in their room with those microphones. There's yeah. nothing wrong with doing that. And I've done that twice now. I even went to – we have a, a place called the Powerhouse Pub that's walking distance from my business. And I went there on a night that uh, Tommy Ricard was playing drums uh, with Wonder mm-hmm. Bread 5. And cool. they just sounded great. And so I went up to their sound guy, Brian, and I said, hey, man, can I pay you whatever you want to come in and just kind of EQ my room? But don't just do it. Walk me through why you're doing it. Why yeah. are you taking 400 hertz out of the overhead? Like I need to know what's going on. And why are you compressing that way? Because to me, compression was always just, well, it makes it do that thing. But I, but then when I talk to a professional and they're like, oh, I'm trying to get a longer tone out of your rack tom. Yeah. I'm like, through compression? You're, making, yeah. you're giving me more sustain? How is that even possible? So you know, if you guys are willing to pay for drum lessons, maybe it's time to pay for mix lessons as well. So. Yeah, I mean, I had uh, – luck. fortunately, I, I, I had a lot of engineers just help me out. Um, one in particular, Butch Jones, he came to my house many, many times. and Wow. And so he, he actually reviewed a lot of microphones for the magazine. So we would literally have to deconstruct my studio because he'd be setting up a whole new set of microphones. Uh, and every single time, he would basically do the same thing that I was done, but he would just do something that would make it just come into focus, whether it was right. angling the overhead so it aimed at the floor tom a little bit more. It was always something that he did. It was like a kaleidoscope, and it just came into a perfect high-def picture. So right. what I learned so much from him just of... Uh, just he would listen and he'd say, "Okay, there's something going on with the overheads. The floor tom is kind of blurry and muddy, so let me angle it that way." Or the snare drum was just a little bit too loud. Let me bring the overheads back two inches to the front of the bass drum. And it was always Crazy. something that just snapped it in. So what I did was I would just take a mental note of exactly what he did, and then when he left, I would tear it all down and then see if I could do it. <laughs> oh. so I didn't want to be like, "Don't touch anything. It's perfect." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to be able to recreate it. You know, I mean, that's the first, as soon as I get things dialed, I almost want to wipe the mix to be like, do I know how I got it that dialed? Yeah, exactly. I want to know that. I want to recreate it. You know, I mean, I'm going to take, uh, God, when I have to take my kit down to go do a gig or a photo shoot or something, and I'm like, uh, I'm going to set it up and I'm going to hate it. I'm going to hate it. Uh, but very cool. Hopefully, hopefully, Alessandro, we just got you nice and confused and. <sighs> <laughs> He's like, well, that doesn't help. That means I have to work for it. Yeah, there's no yep. answer. I mean, and yep. that's a, that's so frustrating because I was exactly the same way. I'd be like, just All tell of us me. Were. Just tell me just what tell, to do. Yes. Do you it, know it, how many times – if you go through my Google search, I wouldn't go to jail. I'd go to recording jail because they're like, man, you keep <laughs> typing in EQ recipe, compression <laughs> recipe for snare drum. What are you trying to get out of this? It's like yeah. that's all I typed in for a year. <laughs> Gate recipe for bass drum. I mean, you know. So awesome. All right. Do we have another one? <coughs> yeah, we do. Sorry. Excuse me. This one comes in. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to say this name. I'm sorry. S-I-N-D-R-A. Sindre? Sindre. Yeah, yeah. I think you he might Sindre? be one of our students. Yeah. Okay. So he says, greetings from Norway. He says he's just wondering if you could talk about sizes and types of symbols and drums for different genres. Uh he finds it very very interesting but confusing. So would you use 18 or 24-inch bass drum for funk? Do you bring your Peisty Roods to a jazz gig? Uh, oh, that's cool. So just any information on what type of gear we bring to different genre gigs. Sure. I mean, I, th- I think that comes down to we 
also study the drummers that played those gigs so we replicate that gear in our heads right yeah. so yeah. when somebody says it's a bonham type thing it's like well i already know what bonham played and yeah. when somebody says funk i'm I, i'm narrowing down the funk i'm like do you do you mean you yeah, know p-funk or p-funk or do you mean yeah exactly <laughs> but it doesn't matter because if you say P-Funk, I know what Dennis Chambers played. And if you say James Brown, I can see Jabo and Clyde in my head. Yeah. I can hear that sound. So I think really, uh, Sindri, going through the people that played that genre and, and understanding, I, you can't take David Garibaldi's kit to a P-Funk gig. It's it's just that snare is so poppy and so cracky. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to have a big, fat, fluffy gap band snare drum while playing with Tower of Power. So having that in your head, researching those drummers and immediately seeing Louis Belson's kit and immediately see in your head and then seeing Max Roach's kit in your head, I think that that's as good as any practice you could ever do. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. and then understanding that having a moderate drum set, if you had twenty twelve fourteen or twenty two ten twelve fourteen sixteen, you can kind of make it all work. It, yeah. it comes down to tuning, muffling, and and choice. Um, and the the funny thing is when you say Peisty Roods in jazz, I really feel like somebody like Ari Honig would make it work, and you'd be like, why have I never used Peisty Roods on my yeah. jazz gig? Like, I mean, have you ever played Jack Dejanet's signature cymbals? Yeah, they're essentially those, Peisty Roods. Ting ting ting. <laughs> but he yeah. makes them sound gorgeous. I remember gorgeous. when we got them in, I was like maybe eighteen or nineteen years old when the Sabians came in. And I was like, I think they shipped them to us early. I mean, we had never <laughs> seen anything like that. There, because there was like the Turkish thing wasn't happening yet. I mean, this yeah. is you know decades ago. And I was like, this can't be right. Like they didn't even finish the symbol. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I saw DJ, he kind of blew up again. You know, obviously he had his legendary career, but then he re blew up in like the mid to late nineties. And I saw him do a clinic, and I was like, uh, there's no way that that's the same. <laughs> symbols and then those black Aquarian heads that have yeah. no resonance and yeah. he was making them sing man so yeah. it comes down to the touch of the person yeah I think um, as a general I think you should avoid extremes when you're, when you're originally yeah. gathering up your gear so you probably don't need an 18 inch bass drum you probably don't need right. a 24 or a 26 I think you can do almost yeah. every gig with a 20 and a 22 I totally almost agree. every gig uh because you can make a twenty-two sound boomy by you know putting a th- you know coated ambassadors and and felt strips right. and and tuning it a little bit higher, and, and you can make a twenty sound like a bebop drum if you just tune it up a little bit higher. Yeah, and put the right heads. And I think uh, a six, even though I play nothing but five and a half snares, that is trial and error all the way down to personal choice. But if I was a gigging drummer, I'd probably have a six and a half just because I can get it as low and fat as I want. But one thing that six and a halfs never get the credit for is they sound fantastic cranked up. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. So I, I I would have more range with a six and a half if I was a constant gigging drummer. So I'd probably have that. Some standard size toms and then standard cymbals. I'd have an 18-inch crash. 20 inch ride and then maybe something that i could crash ride on like a a 20 inch thin crash or something but yeah um nothing like you said no extreme so i actually asked uh paul francis at zildjian i was at at pasic and i i pulled him aside i'm like just tell me if 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 i needed one ride symbol to cover all gigs i could swing on it i could play rock i could record with it what symbol in the zildjian catalog would it be he surprised the heck out of me he said uh an A-series 20-inch medium ride. It'll do it all. 
Wow. And that was, I mean, I've had that ride forever. I mean, that's what I used in high school. And like, you know, maybe I'm not giving that bland old medium ride a fair shake. I mean, it does yeah. do it all. You can kind of crash it. You can swing on it. That's actually the same ride that Mickey Roker used on bazillions of Blue Note records. So it, it's a, it can be a jazz symbol. You know, I mean, that's, I think it's just human nature, man, that we all think if I just had this, it would right. get all better. And it's <laughs> right. like, you know what, man? Uh, we talked about it in the past. Like, I want to someday have a drum set where people could recognize, oh, that's Mike's kit because I'm always changing so much. I would love yeah. to just finally be settled with something. And, uh, you know, the people before us did it just fine. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Like when I heard that Alan Vader was making Buddy Rich's sticks for him, he's like, yeah, man. Or not Alan Vader, but Alan Vader's father, I think, yeah, or maybe grandfather. Right, right. But it's like he wasn't making him 20 bricks of sticks. <laughs> it was like, here's three, one pair and maybe a break one <laughs> and a backup. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different world. But I think we all need to slow down on that. I don't mind the gear hunt. I mind when you think the gear is what's missing in your playing. Yeah, because yeah. the the great drummers can make anything sound great. So that's true. Yeah, if you don't, don't if you know. don't work on your touch enough, that's Mickey Roker is a case in point for me because I got to hang out with him when I was in Philly for a while, and he hosted a jam session every week. And his kit was funky, man. He had that medium ride. He had a little eighteen inch bass drum, but it was like had clear heads on it and just tuned weird. And his toms right. were I think he might have pinstripes on his toms. It was just everything like wrong about a jazz drum set. <laughs> but when he played it, I mean, it sounded like a Blue Note record. When I played it, it sounded like an idiot. <laughs> you know, it just didn't it, – because my touch wasn't there. I wasn't confident in my touch, and I saw this weird hit, and I'm like, this is never going to sound good. He had the snare wires, like, cranked so high that, like, it sounded like I was hitting the tom when I hit the snare. Right. It was just everything about it was like, ugh, this is – I'm going to sound terrible because I was letting the gear kind of dictate how I sounded. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's what it comes down to for sure. I mean, and eventually you get really excited about, oh, I can't wait to see what that kit brings out of me. I mean, you should have seen. So Ash and I got to the the camp in Ireland the day before Mark, but the the people that brought us in, Music Maker in Ireland, they'd already set up all three of our kits. Ash and I spent our entire time playing Mark's kit because neither of us have a have a bop kit set up, uh-huh. and we were just seeing what this bop kit with wide open tuning would do to our playing. And, you know, our licks and chops and grooves don't work on this bop kit. So <laughs> the kit brings something out in you that it's like, oh, right. man, I would never play like this. This is so cool. So eventually you get excited about it. All right. Well, guys, keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And like we said, next Friday or this coming up Friday, we will get you a full episode of listener questions. Now it is time for Picks of the Week. So, Mr. Dawson. <laughs> After that beautiful cough, yeah. what is your pick of the week? Is it I almost made is it, it uh, fluorosceptic <laughs> halls? <laughs> it's Zyrtec. My pick of the week is Zyrtec. <laughs> Ricola. <laughs> um, yeah, last week I got to um, interview our our mutual hero Matt Chamberlain for a, a story coming up. And it was really funny. It was on Wednesday, so he was he was frantically driving around going to Whole Foods to buy food for Thanksgiving and stuff. So I, I did the entire interview while he was shopping in Whole Foods. Really? Yeah, it was pretty. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm a little confused. I'm just walking in circles here. I just can't find organic stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But we were you know, we were talking about that Brian Haas record that, that we yep. talked about a couple weeks ago and his last solo record, Comet B, that kind of kind of came out and, and – kind of snuck up on everybody it's it's amazing um 
So anyway, as I was preparing for that interview, I just said, well, let me YouTube and see what new stuff is out there with Matt Chamberlain because there's really not a ton of, of content. He's got some yeah. great recording tutorials with Bob Clearmountain um, for, I think, for Apogee. But, you know, it's kind of a little yeah. bit light and there's some And, some and even that stuff is still kind of commercially – Right? Yeah, there's very you know, little. You know, they're trying to sell a piece announced. of a product. Yeah, and there's the Gretsch comparison with the broadcaster and his old broadcaster, which is also cool. But again, it's not really like a. I'm not learning a ton from that, right? Other than just to watch him play and listen to the sounds he gets. But so, I found one that that I think just came out last week. Uh, JHS brought him. They went to his studio and brought like a rack of effects units and things. And had him just mess around with them. So it's it's if you YouTube experimental drums with Matt Chamberlain and the JHS 500s, I think it's like a 10 minute video of him doing his thing where he's live looping something and then throwing Got out it. all kinds of crazy effects: distortion, overdrive, delay, uh, some sort of oh. tremolo, vibrato. I'm listening to it right now. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's pretty and it's. It's light on the drumming, but high on the concept. So yeah. it's, and I mean, just to even get to study because it's his studio. So to get to study, well, how does he set up the mics when he chooses, and what are those overheads? I mean, yeah. what's that snare rack? You know, I mean, ugh. And all, everything he does in that clip, he just has one microphone over his right shoulder that's feeding his looper that he okay. controls with his uh, drum cat. So he, you know, he starts the. Starts the loop recording and then he hits the pad a second time and then it just starts looping it. And then that loop, he then starts throwing all these really cool effects on it. So he does maybe three or four different loops that he's he's really just demoing the effects rack. But it's it's kind of like a, a glimpse into his madness and why he is who he is. He's hired to be this creative guy right. as much as he's hired to be the guy that can just play a, a, an amazing groove. I just love, too, that we're still talking about him. We're not referencing his past. We're talking yeah. about him currently. I mean, it's just what yeah. an amazing career. And he and told me that the past couple of months for him have been the most intense of his entire career. He's like, I'm almost 30 years into this game, and, like, it, this past month was nuts. Like, that's, you know, because he's on, like, the Miranda Lambert record that just came out that's, like, setting Nashville on, on upside down, ironically, because they tracked entirely live, no click tracks, you know, no no punch-ins. Um, it was. He said they all. Just, they was in like this garage studio and just played. And it's a number one record. I mean, it's it's well, and it's and they're not using you know traditional Nashville drummer guy. You know, yeah. And there's there's three guys that we could name right now that should be on that record, and we're <laughs> yeah. probably shocked. Like, I'm sorry, who got the call? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and but at the same time, isn't that where country's heading? You know, it's 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 more yeah. poppy all the time, and and to stand out with that sound, you're going to have to take some chances and. Having Matt Chamberlain on your album gives you the opportunity. You can have him play as country and pop as you want, or you can just say, "All right, Matt, do your thing." Go ahead, yeah, do your thing. <laughs> exactly, do your thing. So, yeah, oh, so it's, it's fantastic. experimental drums, drums with Matt Chamberlain and the JHS five hundreds. Yep, and yeah, it's the uh, JHS pedals channel. And uh, let's see if we can. They're at twenty two hundred views right now. We'll see if our podcast can bump that up over the over the <laughs> week. Right. So, all right. Well, my pick this time is something I've picked in the past, but it's got a resurgence. So, uh, my favorite podcast in the world eventually became a TV show, and now it's it's called Off Camera with Sam Jones. Oh, Sam right. Jones is a fantastic photographer, and the new season is out. And so, the new season has. Adam Scott, the actor. It has Vince Vaughn, Mindy Kaling, uh, Kate Beckinsale, 
Uh, it's also probably my favorite interview so far would be Ewan McGregor. And honestly, I was shocked, but Rob Lowe was really fantastic as well. And nice. it's a great insight into somebody that's a teen heartthrob and wants – he – the Rob Lowe thing was really interesting because what had happened was he became a teen heartthrob and he even says, look, I'm I'm a leading man from the 60s and I my looks and my presence didn't work in the 90s as a leading man. I – I came he came on the scene at a time where they wanted the good looking leading man to be made fun of. So he was always the antagonist in the mm. film because they were the they were going for the opposite. It was almost like Pearl Jam coming out with flannels to be against the hair bands. Right, right. So he was like, if I was born thirty years earlier, I would have been in with Marlon Brando and with James Dean, but I was I came on the scene where I needed to be made fun of for my look and feel. So I mean, really, really introspective. If you've never heard Off Camera with Sam Jones, it's a chance to really get inside the stuff. But what I love is actors, definitely actors, producers, writers, they go through every ounce of struggle that we go through. So you'll identify with so much. Um, You'll identify with the imposter syndrome. You'll identify with the self-doubt. You'll identify with what Mike and I have definitely gone through, which is I don't care who says I can't do this. it's, It's happening. I am doing this. And mm. it's going to be a struggle, but I'm doing it. And so, yeah, check out the new uh, – I, I don't actually watch it as a TV show. I just listen to the podcast. Uh, so it's called Off Camera with Sam Jones. Check it out and yeah. uh, hope I you guys I think the audio it. is better. <clears throat> I, I tried too. watching the video and it, it kind of made it – I kind of lost a little bit of the connection. I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I like – imagining how it's going and i put them yeah. in my own setting yeah. you know this the setting he has is very stale because it's mainly for audio um but then honestly guys check out sam jones as an artist himself he's a fantastic i mean he's one of the best photographers uh well i don't want to say best when it comes to art but he's one of the most widely used photographers for uh for all the big magazines that shoot celebrities so check out uh off camera with sam jones sweet he also did the wilco documentary that kind of set them you know, set them on the trajectory of where they're at now. I am trying yeah. to break your heart was the making of, uh, uh, which record was it? Uh, you know, that one. <laughs> oh yeah. You know me, huge Wilco fan. That's all I ever talk about. Wilco, it was, Wilco, you know, Wilco. it was the, Oh my gosh. Wow. Brain fart. You're it the big is, fan. Which record is it? Come on, help me out here. I would love to. <laughs> I'll let, I'll, I'll let you <laughs> Google it. <laughs> It is not Ghost is Born. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Yankee making of Hotel Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Foxtrot. Of course. I can't Sam believe I Jones missed directed that. that. And that was, that was a really big deal because they got dropped while they were making the record from, from Warner Brothers. Oh, wow. So Sam just happened to capture the whole experience and the making of it and the implosion of you know band members getting fired. And this was Glenn Kochi's first like six months with the band. So he was like the new kid doing all his crazy stuff. Great documentary. I think it's one of the best ever made, and he he directed it. He's fantastic, man. I mean, he's got a ton of shorts on musicians on his um, on his website, which is samjonespictures.com. So very talented guy, and he just – I don't know. He has some magic about him that allows these celebrities to really open it up. And if you compare, say, a Vince Vaughn interview on Jimmy Fallon compared to this, it's – they're not even in the same category. You right, actually yeah. at the end feel like you know this person. Uh, and, and he gets – it's not all just actors. There's a lot of writers and producers of um, that really open your mind. I, I, I've never listened to one of the interviews without coming away 
more inspired about my life and my career. So definitely check it out. All right, guys. Well, I got work to do, my friend. I will see you on Friday, and we will do this again, all listener questions. Sounds good, man. All right, buddy. Have a great week. See you.